The following episode of the Movie Club podcast can and will contain spoilers. Please be aware of this before you listen. Thank you. everyone welcome to the movie club podcast the bi-monthly irregular podcast where we get together with a bunch of people choose two movies and just dissect them and analyze them and just shoot the shit basically uh this is episode number 20 and coming up on this episode we're gonna be talking about takashi mckay's visitor q and we're also gonna be talking about gaspar noe's um irreversible so thanks for joining us, thanks for downloading, and uh, it's good to have you with us. I guess we'll go around the virtual roundtable and introduce ourselves. I am Sean from FilmJunk.com. I am Kurt from Row 3 and Twitch. I am Jay from FilmJunk.com and the documentaryblog.com. I am Marina from Row3.com and QuietEarth.us. I'm James from WhereTheLongTailEnds.com. And so we have a few of our uh, regulars who aren't here, um, I think notably absent because of the actual movies we're talking about this time. So it's definitely some pretty extreme material in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, that doesn't make for a good conversation, I think. Um, so I guess we're going to start with Visitor Q. And strangely enough, the man who was pushing this one is not with us. See how he did that? <laughs> <laughs> kind of reminds me of the time uh, the guy at our work, Jay, recommended everyone should watch Cannibal Holocaust, and then he didn't actually come <laughs> to watch it himself. But um, so, Omar, thanks, thanks a lot for this. We appreciate it. <laughs> um, but does anybody want to intro this? I know Kurt, you kind of had a little bit of a background on where this movie came from, so maybe you can set it up. Uh, okay. Uh, Basically, I think there was a project in Japan with the emerging of video technology, and I think it was five or six directors got together, reasonably established, but still kind of up-and-coming directors, and the goal was to make a movie using new technology and cameras that could get anywhere and to basically make a cheap, you know, fast and quick movie, and... um Takashi Miike, who, I mean, he, he, he had probably, well, it's Miike, he probably had like 50 films under his belt in five years or whatever, but I mean, he had already had a huge amount of international success with audition, like actual sort of higher brow critical success. And then he had loads of sort of midnight movie type success with a lot of other films up until that point. Um, and I don't know, I, I, the similarities are really close so i i think he basically loosely took the um pierre pasolini film that starred terrence stamp from the 60s called tiorama and basically remade it in japan um so yeah now i i i read that on wikipedia i don't i never heard of that movie before but uh well when we were thinking about movies to pair up with visitor q my first thought was well we should just pair it up with sallow because it just seems like that sort of extreme, you know, 
violence and fucking and shit and and and, and all <laughs> yeah. all the things that makes a growing boy healthy um but uh and i wasn't aware of this I, I i wasn't aware i've not seen the pasolini movie um i didn't even know that pasolini made movies with actors like so when it was like wow terrence stamp um i'm like yeah i should check it but i didn't have time before this podcast to to sit down and watch with it uh, to watch it so uh but i mean I think just from doing a little reading that the Pasolini film was more about um, spirituality and consumerism and, and, and uh, it was a bit more sort of of its time. And this, this one seems to be a much more Japanese family life and reality TV and, and, and that. So it, it's kind of neat that when a remake happens and they're sort of looking at their own time periods and their own, social context of course you could also just watch it's Mike, so it's not that deep <laughs> so you just watch it as just an extreme shock fest i mean the movie looks really grotty and and really flat and it, it basically looks like someone shot it on their home video camera right so i guess um maybe we can each as we usually do kind of just go around give initial impressions and uh just say, you know, if this is our kind of our first time watching it or, or whatever else. But uh, this was my first time watching Visitor Q. And, of course, I didn't really know anything about it. I just knew anything that was being paired up with Irreversible was probably not <laughs> going to be the most pleasant watch. And the weird thing is it kind of starts out almost a little little bit innocent in a way. Like, yes, there's a... There's a little a, sensual. There's, there's a sex scene at the beginning, but, you know, I was waiting for it to get nasty, and it never really did. Um, but then, you know, about three quarters of the way through, you start seeing why it has a bit of a reputation. And, uh, I guess the thing for me is it, it did feel very, um, sensationalistic and just trying to, you know, check off as many things as possible to sort of gross you out and, and to shock you. And I did feel like, uh, you know, I, I guess I kind of got a little bit of the, the sort of Japanese societal kind of trying to you know stick it to the norms of like you know what everybody thinks a family should be or something but for the most part i didn't really think this had much behind it at all i just kind of thought it was a shock fest and that was it so that was my initial impression jay um i i thought the movie was extremely boring um and it didn't help that I knew that Hell's Kitchen was on while I was watching it. <laughs> that does make it difficult to watch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it is kind of short. I mean, I don't know if I could have lasted more than... Oh, I, I was checking the, my uh, display every 10 minutes, yeah, waiting like... for it to be over. I, I mean, I, I can... I've watched shocking movies. I, I like watching uh, real-life human deaths on YouTube. <laughs> and... So um true. I don't know. I, it, to me, this just doesn't. There's visually, there's nothing interesting. Actually, I'll no. I'll I'll be fair. The the lactation was interesting, <laughs> but I mean that's basically it. It's like for me, all there is to talk about in this film is what did you think of the lactation? And I thought it was cool, but <laughs> the rest of the movie was pretty fucking boring. All right, uh, Marina. <laughs> Well, those sounds like we all had a similar experience. Um, I'd never seen it before. 
didn't really know what to expect because I hadn't seen Irreversible, Irreversible yet. Um, yeah, whoever decided that we needed to see this deserves to be killed. <laughs> I hated every moment I spent with this film. No, it's a good thing we're far away happened. between um, Iceland and British Columbia. <laughs> it's a good thing. No, I wouldn't really kill anybody, but oh man, it was just, it was a pain to get through. It was a chore. Just bland and at some point you know 20 minutes in it's kind of like yeah even the violence isn't really doing anything doing anything for me just didn't work yeah that uh, that's the biggest thing for me it it wasn't like oh i can't believe i had to watch this it was so sick (laughs) it was more like this is fucking boring I just, I, yeah. it was uninteresting and it just was visually uninteresting and the, it didn't have anything to say to me and it just seemed shocking for the sake of being shocking and I, I don't know, it just did not do it for me. Alright, James, what were your thoughts? Um, I, I bet he loved yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't like this one at all. I, I just thought it was nauseating and it was boring and uh, yeah, the the feeling of watching a film and, and knowing that the filmmaker's trying to shock you but failing, you you feel embarrassed for the filmmaker, and, and I'm I just like everyone else, easily a quarter of the way through I started I put the uh, you know the display on so I could know how much longer I had to deal with this movie before <laughs> I could go because it was just, it was awful. Now, when you say that it didn't succeed in shocking you, um, do you think that it, it, like, this movie came out in 2001, I guess? like 03, I think. According to IMDb, okay, it says 2001, but I don't know. Uh, but, uh, like, do you think it, like, is it a dated thing? Like, it was this cutting edge in 2001, and, like, in 2010, we've just had so much more extreme stuff to shock us? Uh, no, I, I just think that I mean, for me, the, the 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 moment that just sort of drives this point home is where the kid starts doing snow angels in the kitchen floor covered in breast milk. <laughs> it's just, it was so ridiculous, and I, I I mean, there are some films that genuinely shock me and disturb me, and uh, some newer than this one, and some older, but. This this was just a, a lousy attempt at something, and I, I really can't figure out what he was trying to do with this film. It was worth doing this film just to get that lead-off sentence, James. <laughs> We're still recovering. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So I've got something I wanted to throw out here. Um, while watching this movie, it did kind of remind me of like a... Harmony Corinne and or no Larry no, Clark no, movie. no 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 well okay give, give me because I, I I definitely think those movies especially Harmony Corinne's movies they're a lot more genuine like it feels like he's just kind of maybe Larry Clark like um well Larry Clark has that movie Bully which I haven't seen but I kind of kept thinking is this actually no Bully way? Bully isn't is I I don't think as flat out sensational is this bullied has a little bit more of a story to it but okay so but what like because i'm honestly this did remind me especially the aesthetics and the no fact no that no it's shot on like this <laughs> sort of uh you know camcorder kind of feel like do you like it reminded me of trash humpers 
Um, and like Trash Humpers is one of the most genuine found footage films ever made. Okay. This is artsy fartsy bullshit. Trash Humpers is not artsy fartsy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I take that back, but. I mean, the, the, there are images in Trash Humpers and all of Harmony Corinne's films that are more inspiring, original, and and uh, say more than anything in Visitor Q, except maybe the lactation. <laughs> but um, I, I the the biggest again the biggest uh, problem with the movie for me is that it's just boring. Like when I watch a Harmony Corinne film. There's genuine humor in his films. Like, you have to admit, Trash Humpers, even though, you know, it, it is a, a very, it can be a, a tough film for a lot of people to get through. There are genuinely humorous moments in it. And I think there are genuinely um, uh, emotional moments in Trash Humpers. But this film doesn't have anything like that for me. See, I found Visitor Q to be very funny i i found a lot of it to be very funny i mean it was very broad uh but i found i i, I always find elements in mike's movies that he he's like one of those old-fashioned comedians that will do pretty much anything for a laugh except he doesn't traffic in what is typically a comedy i mean when the husband and wife in visitor Q decide to go after the bullies. That's to me a genuinely funny moment. It's like this family that is completely in their own compartments and, you know, hate each other basically, or, or cannot find any way to possibly get along under one roof. Um, as soon as they embrace the violence, they actually more or less come back together as a family and i find that i find that inherently funny like the husband and wife don't even make eye contact for the first half of the movie um and then they're gleefully you know chopping up bodies and 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 doing the thing and, and i just find that of all the things that would bring a husband and wife back together um corpse dismemberment um after uh, the the husband had, you know, or <laughs> rigor mortis in the vagina it, it is the final moment that brings <laughs> this family, this happy family back together. When the, when when his rigor mortis necrophilia is combined with her heroin addiction, they find some common ground. And I find that funny. I mean, it's not laugh out loud funny, but I, I find a lot of the things in this movie to be that kind of funny, like really broad satire, not like sharp, smart just really big, really broad satire. It's well, it's the Robin Williams of the bunch. <laughs> <laughs> like I think that's the only thing that kind of saved it from being like for me. This isn't like a movie that offended me and I hate it. And I was like, oh my god, I can't believe I had to sit through this. It was just kind of like a misfire and just kind of you know, I guess like Jay said, just kind of boring. But I think that's the difference: the fact that it has a little bit of a sense of humor kept it from being like this movie that's genuinely trying to shock me with all this stuff. And I was just kind of like, well, okay, it is, it has this dark humor to it. And I, I agree. There is, there is something in that sort of last 10 minutes that 
I was kind of like, well, okay, there, there was something, some reason to sit through all this. The problem with Mike is that he has five films on the go. He certainly in this period had five films, maybe two TV shows and some original video things all on the go at the same time. So a lot of his films may have one or two striking element to them, but they all feel unfinished because, you know, no one can multitask like that. Um, and so everything suffers. And I find most of his work to be just sort of it has a half-assed feel i don't know sometimes that works in something like this where you know he's trying like he could in fact you know with a little bit of polish and tone and 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 whatever and maybe more emotion or something he could have made a a film that you know really like he could have made uh i don't know if any of you seen um uh kiyoshi kurosawa's uh tokyo sonata which is kind of the same subject just without necrophilia and and breast milk snow angels um <laughs> and because uh, it's a serious film and it and it's it's really well thought out and scripted and it has emotional moments and real characters not just broad waving their arms caricatures and and Mike just no he's just moving he's just moving forward he's just moving forward but the, this film didn't have any of that stuff i mean it didn't have any it didn't have any emotions or, or actual characters. They, they were just really, I kept thinking they were like the kinds of people that populate like like dirty jokes, like uh, you know, like a one-legged dwarf or something like that. It was like they weren't. They were. They were barely human. They were barely human. They certainly weren't characters. Anything you could kind of grab hold of. I think you bring up a great point, James. And I, that's probably one of my biggest problems with the movie is that it kind of starts with uh, trying to build some sort of emotional connection to the characters. You know, you have these two people, you know, just had sex, obviously prostituting herself or something like it. I mean, you sort of get the feeling that this is going to be some serious, dark film with some heavy material going on behind it. And then you move on to the next thing and all of a sudden you're like, You've watched 20 minutes of this, and you haven't moved forward, and you've actually lost the characterization you built in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Mm -hmm. I, it was at that point that I kind of went, well, what the hell am I watching this for? It's pointless. And that, that was really disappointing more than anything else. And then it just got boring. I think you're right, yeah, though. The first film, the first 10 minutes feels like a different film. It, it looks different. Mm -hmm. Um and and then the, the rest of the film is consistent as as much as it can be. It makes it feel like it was made up along the way, and he he picked this starting point that you know was supposed to lead to other things, and then it just lost its way and ended up turning into what it is. It's yeah, just I, a vehicle to do um, weird things. <clears throat> Yeah, it just kind of feels like he has these different characters and he just kind of like keeps parading out like, okay, a scene where this weird thing happens, a scene where this weird thing happens. And like the only connection is that they're a family, I guess, and that they kind of come together under one roof. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess I, want, I was kind of curious, like um, I haven't seen Ichi the Killer, but I know that came out the same year, I believe. And uh, I know that's supposed to be a kind of a, another shocking, sort of uh, aggressive movie in that way. Like, how would you guys compare Visitor Q to that? Well, 
Ichi has got a far less sensical plot. I, I couldn't... The first time I watched Ichi the Killer, I didn't even understand what was going on. And that's rare. I, I mean... I watch a lot of movies. I, I usually plot is not usually the one thing I'm hung up on. I might miss something completely else, but um, uh, but then yeah, okay, you watch it again and it it, it kind of <coughs> makes a lot more sense. I, I think it's a different. It's just such a different movie. Um, I, I mean, Ichi is a manga and it, it has sort of that those sort of genre elements. Whereas whereas I don't think Visitor Q has any what you would normally say genre elements it's more almost like it's almost like a piece of performance art i mean the whole making it up as you go along is about the best way to describe it i mean he had this obviously he had the pasolini film as a as a template but a, a good case in point is the main guy now i haven't seen how terrence stamp does as that drifter character that comes in and shakes the family up but this is in this film it's handled quite lazily like it it kind of it's interesting when he meets the the father at the train station and just starts hitting him with a rock. But then when he gets to the family, like abode, he, he, the character just sort of loses. Well, you'd think he would take some, he would be more of a presence or something like the, considering he's supposed to be the catalyst for everything. And he's, he just kind of, he's just kind of there a lot of the times. And I don't know whether that's a conscious decision or just something that never gelled. Well, it's something that I was wondering the whole movie, and I don't know, like, this seems like something you might might cross your mind as well, Kurt, but, like, did you think that he was actually a real person, or was he a figment of someone's imagination, or, like, it kind of felt like he was just a character that was representing something, or just somehow, like, either bringing the family together, or tearing them apart, or something, but it didn't really feel like he was an actual character in the story because like you said he's just kind of there in all the scenes right yeah i i mean i mean i guess he could just be some sort of sort of ghost character uh but i mean there's not even enough in this movie to to really even chew on what that means like he he's just whatever they needed that to happen so he's there um i mean it is interesting that at the end of the film he hits the girl with the rock so he he kind of there's a bookend there where the two characters that start both have to sort of you know literally get a knock to the head to to wise up although i mean does the knock to the head to the dad make the dad wise up he just seems to degenerate further i I guess the one element that i hung on while i'm on the subject of the dad was the was the fact that the dad works as a like a news segment sort of <laughs> this Japanese life <laughs> segment, and he seems to be making a documentary on bullying. Um, and, you know, it, there's sort of everyone sort of bullying everyone and, and the whole sort of, uh, I don't know, in, as an outsider, sort of the way Japanese society can go, you know, extreme. I mean, there's a whole subgenres in Japanese film on aimless or drifting youth and uh, a lot of different filmmakers genre and regular have, have made drifting youth kind of films and he seems to be kind of making that documentary and it sort of ties in of because he's he feels like he's getting worse or no one's watching that he has to just keep upping and upping and upping the bar so i think that there's one commentary in in, in visitor q it's that how desperate people are to to have their 
media or, or, or whatever they, however they're showing off work and they'll just keep going to de- more desperate and more desperate methods. I mean, that's the way it is in reality TV. Um, I mean, certainly in, in horror movies nowadays, uh, there, there's that sort of the next generation doesn't necessarily have to make a better movie. It just has to be a more extreme movie. And, and you certainly right. the, the torture porn stuff that came out after and became a subgenre and a lot of the Japanese weird ass shit. Um, <laughs> you know, it just, it, it, it tries to keep. So in a way it's almost like he made visitor Q to say, you know, like I'm just going to put everything into 84 minutes and then we can move on yeah i kind of wonder if this movie may have seemed a little bit more um i don't know um innovative i guess when it first came out because of the fact that it kind of is shot on these handheld cameras and it deals with this guy who's doing news footage and like all that kind of stuff happens a lot nowadays like we've seen that a ton lately but maybe back in 2001 maybe it might have been a little bit more interesting i don't know um it's hard to say having just watched it now but it's too bad omar couldn't be here to really uh give us some insight as to uh some of the stuff i guess he likes apparently he likes the movie i'm guessing (laughs) unless he just wanted to torture us well i think (laughs) in mike's extraordinarily prolific resume it's considered one of his lesser films it's not it's not a i mean maybe there's certain people out there that embrace it like like i said i i can see a lot of people thinking that the movie is ridiculously funny and i that might be a comment on desensitization but anything when you when you take something and you bring it to these sort of way extreme hysterical proportions anything becomes funny like no subject is taboo once you've crossed a certain line and you've just kept going crazier and more extreme and 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 uh and whatever things just i mean that's comedy right you just exaggerate something like to the point i mean if you exaggerate something a little it's horror and if you exaggerate it even further like you know um from evil dead one to evil dead two it's just just taken it and exaggerated it so much more that it it be, it becomes just a straight out comedy. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I don't know. Like, I guess Jay, you were talking about interesting the imagery, lactating. like oh. the lactating. One thing that I thought was also kind of a cool idea or cool imagery was the whole uh, the the bullies that are lighting the fireworks off and shooting them into the house. I thought that was kind of interesting, but. You know, again, it's just just totally random, and I don't know. Be a good practical joke to play on someone, though. It actually looked good. <laughs> it, it actually looked good on the video the, just because of the way it. Yeah, this the, film is one of the the redeeming factors of this film is it does give you good suggestions for practical jokes <laughs> to play on people, like fake fake that you're dead and yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, or the penis stuck in the vagina. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Possibilities are endless. <laughs> I, I will say that um, one of the scenes that it's still sort of, I thought about after the movie was over, and considering it as a whole, it's kind of like, eh, it's just sort of stuck in this, you know, little crappy movie. But um, when the mother goes off to have her little fling to get money for her addiction, um the guy asks her to beat him with a belt 
I, I thought that that was sort of interesting that we never got to see her face. I was a little, I was a little not pissed. Not that you know it anything, but I don't know. I kind of thought that was an interesting choice, and I don't know if it was just random. It could very well be, but uh, yeah, I thought that was a little interesting. Yeah. Well, the only interesting part of that scene I thought was um, that they'd obviously had sex before she was beating him, and I think that he was putting the cart before the horse. There, he had it the wrong way around. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! <laughs> well, the whole actual transaction of them <coughs> of the beating—it's—it's it's so polite. Like, can I humbly suggest that <laughs> you hit me here, here, and here? And and yeah, that's what I like, or whatever. It just again, I find that sort of funny. Like the whole point of domination is that you should be dominated. You don't you 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 actually have to ask. <laughs> you know, it just it struck me as funny. Well, I was well, wondering. Sorry, go ahead. I was just wondering if, like, it almost seemed like he felt sorry for her and felt like she needed more money. So he was like, well, if you want, I can pay you to whip me, too, for a bit. But <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I don't know. I mean, in, in, in any other film, that scene and the the way that that scene plays out would have probably had more meaning. And I mean, it sort of, it kind of struck me here because here she is getting beaten by her, like, what, 12 year old son? And now you have her in a, in a position of domination and you don't even get to see her reaction. And I actually felt a little bit cheated. I wanted her to take pleasure from that. No. But, you know, that's the thing. It's like you're reading into this movie that really has no meaning. So I don't know. Well, I think that, uh, um, what he's trying to say at the beginning is that she's off in her own selfish world with the heroin addiction and her journey over the course of the movie is to become the, the, the nurturing, um, mother again, fall back into the, you know, sort of role within the family of, of, of being the mother and and hence the, the, uh, copious lactation, um, <laughs> as the movie moves along. And the fact that, and not only that, that she, like, enjoys it. Like, the whole point at the beginning of the movie is that everyone isn't in their roles because they, none of them can stand their roles. Like, they're, they're all off, you know, not doing what society says to do them. But somehow, through all this violence and blah, 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 they end up all falling back into their roles. And, um, I don't know, maybe that's probably bleak, uh, you know, cause you always think of film and, and art film as being progressive, not everyone has to go back in their place and, and do what they're supposed to do because, you know, you're a 40 year old woman or a 17 year old boy, because he eventually, the boy falls into his role. He studies and goes off to school and, uh, yeah. um, well, I think that's like a very Japanese thing too, right? Like it's because they're very much like you know this is what you should do, and you know you're you're going to respect sort of the the cultural norms, and you're not going to go off and do your own thing. And I guess I don't know if he's saying it's a good or a bad thing. Like I, I guess that's kind of open to interpretation, but he's certainly playing with those ideas. So. There, I guess there's something going on in this movie, but no. it just seems like it's... <laughs> there isn't. Uh, this analysis is... It's the equivalent of analyzing Norbit. 
except Norbit <laughs> is joyful and this is not. Just because it's it's it shrouds itself in in pain and sex and and vile, you know, uh, body fluids. Yeah, it doesn't mean that it has a message. It just it's taken a different shallow direction, the opposite shallow direction that something like Norbit takes. No, I think it's, you're I think you're flat out wrong. I think that the it, message it, is really I think the message is really obvious and like that that sort of societal stuff is it, it's not even it's so buried. obvious it's so obvious it's so, it's so obvious, obvious that it's not even worth discussing fair enough I, it, it's you, just <laughs> I, I, I can buy that argument but I uh, you can't say that the, that there's nothing being said in the movie I think it's being said you know with a megaphone pointing into another megaphone like it's just huge and big and broad and 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 what's and, being said is completely secondary to everything that happens on screen this is this is an opportunity to watch someone shoot milk out of their tits. That's what it is. That's it. And yeah, it, to me, that's the only thing that I loved. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and it's like if we could have a movie with like a story and characters we liked and milk shooting out of breasts. Was- what did Norbit not have? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, but I, I sincerely, I I really only think that the 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 lactating is the only interesting thing, and the way it plays out, it seems to me like it was um, discovered on set. <laughs> like they they were, someone went up and was like, <laughs> A "Happy accident, me, uh, Mr. Takeshi." Uh, I I thought you should know uh, Anne, who's our lead actress. She can she can lactate. <laughs> He's like, what the fuck? No, I think it was it was definitely get a camera on that. That was in the casting call for sure, guaranteed. <laughs> Forty year old woman. Well, I was wondering one what was going to be happen because he she had like massive nipples, and I was like, that's unusual. And then oh, explained <laughs> nipples of unusual size. Um, the that lactating and I bet that I haven't seen Norbit but I bet Norbit has something to say about family and lactation <laughs> um, but it, it, what Norbit has to say about family is disregarded because it's surrounded by joyfulness could be. I, I'm sure the message in Norbit is just as obvious as the message in Vi- Visitor Q but it's it's a I think the message populist blockbuster film and you know it doesn't uh, deserve to be analyzed where this does just because it's Japanese and it's shot on video and it's got it doesn't even have cocks in it is was that an, a censored version did you did you no, see I penis? Think that's a Japanese it, thing. it's it's a a Japanese thing and b it's something that Mike has played with in various films he's that's bullshit he, he <laughs> He and in, sometimes intentionally censors stuff. Sometimes he doesn't. It's it's very weird uh, what he does. But I think even lots of Japanese pornography still censors. I hate that. So, <laughs> but the, on the whole lactation thing, before we move off on uh, away from that, oh, let's uh, keep going. <laughs> um, that is a common like several Mikey films have oh, that. Really? That's his. That's his auteur's. Tab. I've only seen Ichi the Killer, and I hated it. And. Um, the only thing I remember is the title emerging out of a puddle of semen. <laughs> is it, that's 
that movie, yep. right? Yeah, a, a man a, masturbates yep. outside of a window and the title comes out of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. It's a metaphor for filmmaking right there. <laughs> you might want to. So good. Did you see, did you see God's puzzle? No, I haven't. I mean, okay. I, I don't even think it's, how, did you see it? At I a, did. At a festival yeah. or? I was going to ask about this white thing that was on the floor of the bedroom, which we couldn't figure out what it was. I'm thinking it might have been milk. It was semen. <laughs> Did the movie's title come out of it? <laughs> no. Sadly. Yeah, well, Gozu has, like, which, which would have been around the same time as Visitor Gear. It's just a movie made after Ichi. It has loads of, you know, Lactation. it has a guy being born, like a fully grown man being born. So... Um, and there's plenty of lactation. Um, you yeah. have to dig into his filmography. Well, actually, I, the, the Mike film that I recommend to watch uh, is uh, The Great Yokai War because it's his only children's film. And, like, it's basically his Harry Potter. And yet it, he cannot not be who he is. So even though he, like, when, you know, in, a, in any quest film, there has to be some dangerous horde or I don't know what what's the baddie in, in, in Harry Potter Voldemort so he has to be coming back from somewhere he's banished and he's coming back or there's some in in the Beastmaster like the horde is coming or there's some so and someone has to like tell the characters that this is the conflict or whatever so you generally have like a teacher or whatever so in this in the Great Yokai War um, a calf gives birth to like a mutant deformed cow fetus that says the evil is coming. <laughs> I mean, this is again, this is a film that was made for 12 year old kids. And nice. So it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. So that he just can't, more fun. He, it, it is more fun, but it, he can't not be who he is. That's, that's what he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, one good thing I can say about the film is that the, uh, in all seriousness, the woman who played the uh, the news reporter who who sort of spurned the father, she she played one of the most convincing dead people I've ever seen in movies. She, <laughs> that's a good point. They, they they actually killed her for that film. <laughs> like that's 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 what they do. No, but I, I thought that that sort of vacant stare. I thought it was really that was kind of a haunting look she had there and she, I, I thought well that's one thing I liked about it anyway <laughs> well it is true I was actually thinking about it at different points like is this still like an actual person or like would they actually build prosthetics for this like I don't know it just because it, it was convincing but and like especially when her body had to be like contorted in all these weird ways but I don't know if I give it a recommend based on that <laughs> No, that was just, I just wanted to make sure I had one nice thing to say about the movie. <laughs> yeah. And that was all I could come up with. <laughs> well, uh, I guess, for better or for worse, uh, the movie is structured into almost like a series of set pieces. And while they don't always gel together, you do have, you know, I mean, it, obviously, if you don't like any of them, well, you're, you're screwed. But, you know, you have the scene at the beginning, and then it quickly moves to this other segment with the rock, and then it moves to the son and the mom hitting and then to the fireworks it's very clearly like if you if you if you if you're pissed off or whatever at that scene something else is going to come along i mean the movie's only about maybe it seems like it's long takes like 20 maybe 20 maybe less 
long takes it's the whole movie which is kind of it, it wasn't i don't know we just paired it up because it was kind of you know this sort of extreme whatever kind of cinema but i mean it it does match up nicely with irreversible because it's obviously the same sort of big collection of long takes right um okay well i guess are there any other final thoughts on uh visitor q before we move on then um, the only thing I wanted to add is that watching this kind of reminded me of Cold Fish for some strange reason. Absolutely. Um, I'm not quite sure. I'm not sure if it's just the, I think part of it is this idea of the family, but the whole chopping up of the body that sort of brought it rushing back. So, except Cold Fish is much better. Yeah. We're, we're probably the only two here that have seen that oh. one. Um, but yeah, Cold Fish is a real movie. I mean, it's a... It's a good, well-structured movie, and it, you're right. It has all the same messages and has all the same, like, the same, like, with the body dismemberment and stuff. I'd be interested to, to see if the director, the Sion Sono, has any connection or, like, if is he a fan of Visitor Q or is he not a fan and wanted to make a good version of it or, or <laughs> I, 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 it's an interesting, that, that's, yeah, I, I was thinking the same thing when I was watching it, that, that there's a lot of similarities between those two films. But does this it have lactation? It, it reminded me. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. Go ahead, Jack. Back off on the lactation. Um, go but, ahead. You know, yeah. I, it reminded me of uh, Godard's Weekend, is what I, what I kept thinking of, which I actually enjoy, but um, it, I just thought it was, in its excess, was it reminded me of that film. Reminded me of Norbit. <laughs> <laughs> so it is fascinating that you could get that many. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess you uh, you get out of it what you bring in. <laughs> yeah, no, I guess also, I mean, I don't know how many people would be listening to this, with, whether they've seen the movie or not, but uh, it does seem like it's a little bit hard to find on DVD. I don't know, is it actually, does it have a Region 1 release? Yeah, or? it's a very, actually, uh, it's, it's, it's swanky. Yeah? The, uh, the, the Region 1 release looks like a, like a Criterion release, it has liner notes. It's um, like there's an essay with it. It's got it's in a like a paper, very nicely designed paper case. I, I found it used in a, in a in a bin a number of years ago, um, and I mean even used. I, I think I paid like more than I would normally pay for a used. Like like if I had bought a used Criterion, it was like fifteen bucks or whatever. Um, yeah, it, it. I don't know if it's in print or not, but it does have a very um, Tokyo Shock is the label that oh, okay. um, that put it out. I don't even know if they're still in business or not. But well, I, th I think they are. It sounds familiar. But um, all right. Well, I guess are we uh, wrapping up our discussion on Visitor Q then? Yep. Yeah. All right. Mm, yes. Yeah. So let's move on. Let's talk about um, Gaspar Noé. I hope I'm saying his name right. Uh, his film Irreversible, which came out in 2002. Um, now, who do we know who suggested this one? I think you did. I did. Yep. Ouch. When we were <laughs> when we were brainstorming movies around um, around Visitor Q, I don't know. I don't know why I would have done that. <laughs> no, actually, I mean, I had seen this. Um, I you know never saw it in theaters or anything, obviously, but I had seen <clears> it. Um, at some point and kind of didn't really remember too much other than the key scenes, I think. So I was kind of curious to revisit it. And, uh, 
you know, it is definitely uh, still, I think, a difficult watch. Um, but I think, um, especially when compared to Visitor Q, I think there is definitely more of a story. There's some good performances, uh, definitely some interesting cinematography. There's a lot of stuff to appreciate about the movie. It's just one of those movies that I still feel I feel it's hard to say that I genuinely like the movie because it, mm-hmm. again, it puts you through the ringer. But um, Kurt, what uh, what's your take on it? Uh, I saw this movie, uh, the North American premiere of the movie. At, it played at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2002, and it was already infamous because it was booed and and walked out of at Cannes, but that happens like seemingly every other movie, but um, they showed it at the Uptown Theater back, if anyone remembers the Uptown, Um, and it's a thousand seat theater, and I would say a third of the audience walked out, and I mean that by, to any movie, that's a huge walk out, like usually maybe you'll see, even in extreme movies, you'll see five or ten people leave, but to have a third of the theater walk out and then by the time we got to the end of the movie um i mean gaspar was there to do a q a uh there were maybe 40 people that stayed and that really is an interesting comment i, I find at film festivals it's an interesting commentary it's certainly how toronto responds to a film the more people that stay for the Q&A, the more people that were really into the movie. If you get a whole theater and not a person leaves and everyone stays for the Q&A, that's rare. Uh, so I, I remember there was very few people that, that stayed for that. But um, my reaction to it at the beginning was this was the first movie that actually made me nauseous and uh, particularly the opening minutes with the noise. Like the, the, I guess they play a certain frequency that... The, I believe it's called the brown noise. <laughs> it makes you poop. <laughs> it's it's a riot quelling frequency that that he uses in the opening scenes. And uh, the buddy that I was with uh, never like he he liked to go to the film festival, but he never liked he didn't he only wanted to see like you know movies early. He just he didn't want to he wasn't like super adventurous and. I think he only stayed because I wasn't leaving. And uh, uh, he hates to this day that that's a movie that he brings up anytime he's pissed off about some <laughs> movie experience or whatever. So, But, it, I mean, I flat out love the movie. I, I think it's really good. It, it, it uses the backwards time thing as smart and effective as Memento, it just differently. Um, and, yeah, it's not like... Like you said, it's not a movie that you enjoy watching, but I, I think it's a really um, this type of movie seems that as much as something like Visitor Q and the way it's made could only be made in Japan, this movie feels like it could only be made in 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 France or maybe Belgium, but whatever. But um, yeah, and I had not rewatched it, so I, I had only had that one theatrical experience, and. Um, uh, yeah, so it was it was really good, and it confirmed to me on rewatching it just how damn good of a movie it is. Okay, Jay, um, I I like the movie as well. Um, I think that it's um, I think pairing this with Visitor Q does this a disservice to just link the two because they're both shocking. I, I think Visitor Q is shocking with nothing behind it, but this. Um, 
has something behind it and i think that the techniques that are used are are used in in a very effective way and and there's a lot of great special effects work in this film that is some of the most um convincing and shocking cg that i've seen yeah there's uh a cg penis in the movie um and uh yeah i I mean i I like it just as a visceral experience and i i the whole hard to watch thing i i think it does just come from the like you said the noise and the camera flipping around and everything and and um i i don't kind of like that i i think it's challenging in a good way not in a obnoxious pretentious self-indulgent way it's there's a purpose for the way it's moving the camera and trying to make you feel it's it's like a ride it's an emotional thrill ride (laughs) (laughs) it's true i mean the one thing i'll say is that I kind of have a feeling, though, seeing it in the theater is a very different experience because even when I was watching it here, like, I found when the camera is kind of, like, swinging around and stuff, after a while, I just kind of had to look away on occasion. And I'm just thinking, if this was on the big screen in front of me, like, there's no escape from that, you know? Um, But obviously that's probably with any movie. Uh, Marina, what were your thoughts? Um, I'm sort of on the same boat with you guys. It was the first time that I'd ever seen it. Um, and definitely not a pleasant experience, but a film I really do like. Um, and I agree, I think it has quite a bit to say, and the way that it's made works into that. Um, but wow, it was hard to watch. And for the first 15 minutes, I'm like, did I totally miss something? And it was for that reason I kept having to look away, because, I mean, few films really make me ill, and this one did. I mean, I was 10 minutes in, and I'm like, okay, I'm starting to get a headache. i got to close my eyes. And then it moves on a little bit more. I'm like, okay, did I miss part of the story? And then I sort of figured out the whole telling the story backwards. But it took me a while for it to click in. Um, but no, generally, I just really, really, really like this movie a lot. Okay, James? Well, I have, uh, I guess I, I have mixed feelings about it, but... I think the film really has a lot going for it. I thought that um, the technique used, the sort of reverse narrative, was really interesting. And at, at times, it, it sort of kept you above the drama and the and the sort of gut wrenching horror of some elements of the film. But but at other times, it it had the effect of just being really absorbing. I think it it hit its stride at uh, the point where. Um, if I remember the characters' names, Pierre and Marcus, they're sort of chasing one another around that party, and um, and uh, Alex is is kind of off on her own and, and everything, and and the 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 sort of hyper real uh, camera technique that they were using, and it, it was just blowing up at that point. And um, so there there's a lot I really enjoyed about it, but but there were you know there was a lot of, a lot of stuff I didn't care for. Um, I think there were some things that were excessive, but overall, I, I would say that I, you know, I enjoyed it. Um, okay, well, now one thing I wanted to mention, like Kurt, you had already brought up sort of the um, comparison to Memento, and I kind of seem to remember like this movie came out like a year after Memento, 
And I don't know, I could be crazy, but I seem to remember like one of the first things I heard about it was people saying that it was a quote unquote memento knockoff, which is obviously completely like to write it off based on that is, is pretty lame. But, um, it is kind of interesting that it came out around the same time as memento, but obviously like the fact that the title is irreversible, the fact that it even starts with the credits, the end credits going backwards, I thought was really interesting. Um, and so like, yeah, I think the, the use of the backwards time in this movie is really cool, especially because it's a revenge movie, but you see the revenge before you even know what they're getting revenge for. So it's like, you don't really get the, the pay, like the, in a revenge movie at the end, you, you feel like vindicated, like, yes, that person got what was coming to them. And you're kind of robbed of that in this movie. Well, in this movie, Vincent Cassell is the monster at the beginning. He's the guy that's completely off his off his hook. He's just completely going crazy. And when his buddy, uh, who actually, I think even in the even when they're in chaos and the you know you can't tell what's going on in the gay club and and they're going around and it's almost like a like a horror funhouse. So it, it's just one sort of scattered image after like almost strobe lighted and, and so forth. But then the first thing I think that you can really see once you're in that club is when he picks up the fire extinguisher and the camera stops for a few minutes so that they can indulge in beating, um, the guy to the like destruction it's, like, of a head. <laughs> Jay mentioned that it was CGI augmented, and one of the probably the most impressive things about Irreversible is that it doesn't feel like a movie that would have any CGI in it, and there's everything is augmented, but it's done in the sort of David Fincher way that you're not ever supposed to know. Um, but and and I don't think it. The movie almost never shows it seems that way. When he beats that guy with the fire it's. I remember in 2002, I'm like, that might qualify as the most visceral thing I've ever seen on screen. And, I mean, I've seen things that are conceptually worse, but it's the way this is filmed. It's so graphic and inhuman and brutal, and it, it's totally playing for keeps. And it does not want you to enjoy that scene at all. There's no scene of violence in this movie that the filmmaker ever wants you to enjoy. And which, which I think is the opposite of Visitor Q, where where it's kind of played for aha, funny, funny. Um, in this movie, and because you don't know what's going on, these guys just beat this guy to death. Um, yeah, you don't have that release that you would have if it's Denzel Washington in in that Tony Scott movie, um, Man on Fire. Man on Fire, where where everyone is like actually bloodthirsty by the end, and it's like you know he he kills someone graphically, and everyone fist pumps. And here it's. It's not the same. And, of course, the height of the irony of that scene is that they don't even kill the right guy. Well, I was going to ask that because I, I wasn't sure. But, that I mean, I mean, I guess that's another interesting thing. I mean, you're... You, you don't of, know at that point. Yeah, like, you, you don't know anything. You can't remember what that guy looks like because you, you just see him on screen for a second and then he's, like, obliterated. And then later on, you're kind of like, but was it the real guy? It, the guy that he, they were supposed to kill, the Latenya, the tapeworm or whatever, the pimp. Yeah. Um, he's standing beside him. Like, he basically says it's that guy. Oh, okay. And, and, and so um, they kill that guy. And, I, yeah, it's really hard. On a, on a single viewing, it's really hard to make that connection. I mean, for years I thought, and I'd been corrected four or five times, I thought just from the one-off film watching that it was Vincent Cassell that, that beat the guy. But it's even worse when it's Pierre because he seems to be 
the voice of reason right. <laughs> in this movie and and the fact that he's just that that I mean the whole movie is about how far can you be pushed before you just become a monster and that I guess was his breaking point he was the voice of reason until they got right down to that point the horror was just so much that he just snapped and he just went to town with that thing yeah well I think too like one of the interesting things is like there is as it's working backwards you know at first there's the mystery of well what happened why are they trying to kill this guy and then but then after the the rape scene happens you know i'm kind of thinking well why why am i still watching this like is this movie over like what why do i care about how this started and then of course there's the twist at the end with that she's pregnant or whatever but there are other little things that you're finding out and i think one of those things is that pierre you know initially you just know that um what's the other guy's name vincent cassell's character marcus marcus you you uh you just know that marcus it was his girlfriend that that got raped or whatever and you're kind of just thinking pierre's along for the ride but then you slowly find out that he actually had a relationship with her and he and and it becomes interesting because you then you see you kind of realize why he was the one who came in and and snapped and although the other guy was getting beat up i guess too but um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting little things that you, you're still curious to find out about as you kind of continue watching it towards the end of the film. Well, and oddly enough, the movie gets more violent as it goes by. Not not in a, the normal sense of violence of you see something and it's violent, but the more it goes back, and you know, as you keep as the characters become more grounded because they're not, you know it's past before crisis and whatever like there's a huge take it's probably the like the second last maybe the third last shot of the movie it's got to be 12 to 15 minutes long of monica bellucci and vincent cassell just preparing to go to the party and they get up they put some music on they dance they talk they it's just very intimate and, and it actually feels to me it feels very realistically intimate um movies don't always capture the just two people in a room interacting with each other all that well. And I, I think, I mean, these two are married as well. So it, 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 that may help. It may not. But, uh, that scene, it, it, it's like watching, um, United 93. Uh, I mean, United 93 works as a thriller because you know, it's based on a true story and you know, what's going to happen eventually. I mean, otherwise the movie would just be boring, but because you have this loaded, sense of you know what's going to happen it 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 makes everything start to achieve different contrasts and resonances and whatever and because they give you everything at the end of the movie backwards now this you know that this couple that has this good intimate relationship that's what's going to happen to him then when it scales back further and she takes her pregnancy test and she knows that she's pregnant but hasn't told her her um boyfriend yet um then you you know it just keeps adding more and more to the um and oddly enough i mean the movie's so smartly built that hundreds of details are foreshadowed the wrong way like they're in the later scenes of the movie she has the conversation with the pregnant woman and then she taught they're, they're talking about the book she's reading and there's just a lot of things that if you showed the movie the other way around it wouldn't make a lot of sense um and that's what pisses me off when people write this movie off as being gimmicky this is one of the most effective uses of backward narrative because it actually is commenta it's commentating on 
how you watch a movie and how the movie told backwards is a radically different experience uh, and, and how you process, like you said, violence or, or how you, you deal with exposition or everything. Like it's actually a movie, like a critical movie of how movies are watched. And it's just an extra layer on top of everything else. Yeah. And I think also there is, there is thematic ties, you know, just the fact that you can take revenge on someone, but it doesn't change what happened. You know what I mean? Like there's no going back from it. And much like Memento, you know, uses its backwards narrative in a thematic way. I think this does too. So I think they're both, pretty brilliant in that way um yeah i guess it it just works (laughs) you got the bad mic stand this time (laughs) (laughs) i feel like freddie mercury (laughs) um it just works because uh it places the the weight on the not on the the violence the act of revenge but on what they lost i guess like it's interesting that you come to the end and you're left depressed on more of a a lighter note than where you come in in the beginning and and that's a powerful thing like to to be left like what you go what you leave the film with is probably more depressing than Mm -hmm. what you would have if it ended with him killing the guy you would have i mean this is a very obvious statement but like you said with people saying that it's a gimmick it's it's so obvious that it's not i mean you just it puts a completely different spin on how you leave the film like and and the images that you're left with uh and what they are they now represent they represent it's happiness happiness that's going to turn to shit and uh i think it's the same with united 93 like it a a film like that people could uh very easily say well you know you know it's how it's going to end and it's not really how can they build any drama out of that but it works exactly because you know how it's going to end and the fight at the end on the plane works even more because you know how it's going to end but it seems like they're so close to to like taking over the terrorists but so it it is interesting it's an interesting idea of playing with what you it's like the bomb under the table thing like it never goes off yeah but and then the two statements like the movie's called irreversible which obviously is you know regardless of how happy they were this is going to happen and two the, the the final title card is that time destroys all things which i mean in a way it it comes across as this so brutally french nihilistic but on on the other way it 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 sort of takes the film and says yes you just watched a horrific violent thing but in a way um things are constantly changing anyway and that you know people don't realize when they have a um you know like a great day where they go out and they they build like a couple snow forts and, and throw snowballs around and it's snow happy. angel and, and breast milk. There you go. <laughs> uh, but you know, if you think about it, you go, Oh, that was great. And we'll do it again next year and next year. But really if at the end of a life, if you added up the number of times you did it, it probably adds up to like three or four. And you, you, you have the sense that you're always going to have more time to do all these things. And of course you're going to have all these other things, but really a lot of these moments only happen 
you know, once or twice. And uh, it's interesting that it actually doesn't just say, you know, this couple is doomed because of the violence that's in the future. But, you know, any moment of you sitting, like reading your book in the park on a, on a blanket is, is a transient thing and something else is going to come along and, and, and disturb that. Before you know it, you're on your deathbed and you're like, I wish I made more snow forts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually quite impressed with Kurt's optimistic uh, feeling of the ending of the movie. You're usually the one that's the pessimist in the group. It was all a dream. <laughs> <laughs> um, my feeling with the ending of this film is exactly with Sean, in line with Sean's it's, uh, and Jay's. It really feels like you're not robbed of some sort of... Um, well, the revenge and, you know, the feeling that, you know, they got what was coming to them. It really, you do feel worse coming out of it than you did going in. And, I mean, you're feeling pretty shitty when you go in because, I mean, there's a whole shitload of violence going on on screen that you just, it's hard to comprehend what's going on, um, which is interesting in its own way. But, yeah, coming out of it, it was kind of like, it was a bit of a mind fuck. It's like, okay, I just watched that entire movie and I feel worse now about life than I did when I started this movie and I was completely lost with what was going on. Like, it's it's uncommon. And there aren't a lot of filmmakers that make me uncomfortable. I think Gaspar Noel is one that does. It's just, I feel uncomfortable when I watch his films. It, he, I think he what he does is the a, a better way of um, what uh, um, other filmmakers might clumsily handle as someone getting revenge at the end of the film and then cutting to a montage of all the best moments of, in their lives as he's killing the person or something where they're trying to connect the death, the revenge with this person is still dead and still gone. Whereas this, the way this is structured, it's a, a more, um, uh, gracious, uh, a graceful, uh, way of doing that where, you know, you, you end up at the end and, you're left with the image of the person that you know is is going to be killed, and mm -hmm. it's completely unsatisfying that you know they're going to... Well, aside from the wrong person thing, but uh, it's completely unsatisfying knowing that there's going to be revenge taken because you're still left with the fact that this person is dead, and, you know, it, it doesn't... It, it robs you of any gratification. Well, two things on that. One... Um, it's, it is ironic that he kills the wrong person, but ultimately it really doesn't matter because of that. Uh, and two, it's rare that a filmmaker has that much faith in their audience that they will, like you said, like it's easy to, to cut back and forth and, and, and connect the two with the obvious editing techniques. It's like basically that's when cinema became cinema, when someone figured, oh, you can put two things together. Uh, but to do it over the span of 90 minutes, and it's a grueling 90 minutes with a lot of things going on, is and it puts an incredible amount of faith um, in the audience. And obviously I think it was you know not... Not to sound like a snob, but I mean, not everyone gets that. I, I think that's the people that, that say, uh, gimmick... Um, like fundamentally missed the the, the point of the movie. Point. Well, also um, interesting kind of quote here from Roger Ebert because, like, I, I mean, a lot of people look at this movie and just say it's gratuitous violence and and all this stuff. And I think in Ebert's review, he called it he actually called it a very moral movie, 
because it shows you the vengeance before the 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 acts that inspired the vengeance, right? So you you're thinking about the the implications of the violence as opposed to just reveling in it, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things. Like you can take this movie for, at face value and just think because it's so violent that it's you know it's just a, a horrible demeaning piece of work or something but it's you know clearly there's there's stuff going on here and there's thought put into it and um doesn't make it necessarily more pleasant to watch but it you know it certainly gives it value i think james you're awful quiet back there (laughs) well i know i I, you guys have done such an excellent job of covering it i i'm not sure about things to contribute but um i uh I second, um, you know, um, <laughs> that, that is, that's the most pregnant pause we've ever had. <laughs> What's he going to second? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, it, you know, I, I, I was, I didn't really like the film Memento and, um, I saw it well after the fact of its, uh, kind of the you know the excitement that surrounded it when it came out and i guess i never made the the link between the two um so um yeah i, I sort of feel like the kid at the back of the class you know right now <laughs> <laughs> well, did you like this more than memento or less oh no I, I i like this one i i didn't think much of memento i didn't really like it at, at all really but um this is this had so much more going for it than, than certainly than Visitor Q, uh, just because the, you know the 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 character is, ex- I mean these, the character and the sentiment and everything is exposed in such a, a novel way, but it, it's it, it's it's effectively done, um, but at the at the end of it, yeah, you do feel worse than than you do at the beginning, but um, it, it's just interesting how things all fall into place, and um, it's it's an interesting comment on on film, on the structure of the narrative because um, I, I can't remember if this was a, a discussion we had before. At some point, we talked about um, how important the ending is to a film, and in this one. Um, the film ends for sure, but that's not the ending of the film. The ending of the film comes at the beginning, mm-hmm. but it, you know, they managed to keep everything in in balance, so it it feels still, like a natural ending. Yeah, I mean, if I dare say closure, I don't know if I want to say that though, but because I don't know if you actually get that here, but that the you you find that point of resolution at. At some point in the film, before the film ends, but nonetheless, there is an end point to the film. Now, has anyone seen I Stand Alone or Carnet or End of the Void? No. No. It, it, it's been a long... No, no one... Okay. Um, it, it's been a long time since I've seen his first two films, but I know I've seen Enter the Void a little more recently, and... The editing style in this movie, and and I think one of the things that makes Noe's films even more grueling to watch is that he doesn't ever cut. Um, 
He, I mean, he cuts, but they're hidden very elegantly. In, 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 in the crazy camera movement at the beginning, he can do all sorts of cuts just because of the way the camera is so nonsensical and it's so dark. Anytime there's one frame of blackness, you could cut. Um, but in here, he always does spin the camera out of the scene. Out of the scene, mm-hmm. and it and it, it it it's digitally smoothened to the point where it feels so. You, I don't know. I think when the film has a lot of cuts, it lets the audience off a hook. Next scene, whatever. But when you're watching one long take, it, when it's a literal long take, like the rape, of course, that scene. You know, it, it was funny when that movie came out because everyone had a different like length it has a 20 minute rape scene it's got a nine minute rape. you know everyone had it because the length of that scene is not the literal clock the length of that scene is how long it feels when you're watching it but the whole movie feels like one take and um and end of the void which is a three hour film or, or or two hours and 40 minute film is also done with a gliding no cuts uh, like no no obvious cuts uh movie and that's just very f- usually it's a it's a formal challenge like uh like running time or rope or or whatever but in no way he's actually using it as an emotional effect on the viewer and i and i think that's that's far more interesting to me than just saying you know we wanted to challenge the production to see if we could shoot this one long movie and hide all the cuts this this is a, this is a much more interesting way to do it and i think irreversible has a a noticeable effect even when the camera's stable like you know obviously the movie starts really violent so the camera's really violent and then as you keep pulling back and the the narrative becomes more stable they're at a party they're on a subway the camera becomes more stable uh but he's still not cutting and you feel that it, it just has a a different flow than than other movies and that and and when you layer that in with the violence that you see on the screen the backwards narrative he's really i mean for a second film um it, it's a really impressive achievement for for just the second film out of the gate because he's it's almost like this would be your masterpiece in a normal thing because you you pull so many elements maybe that you learn over making a bunch of films but i mean he's he's got it all going on and and it blows my mind that he actually has uh, that he trumps this movie with enter the void which i think is even better film um and so it and, and i don't think there's anywhere that he can go I, i'd love to find the place that he can if he can go higher but after End of the Void, he's got, as far as I'm concerned, the, the filmmaker's got nowhere to go. He's, that's it. Like He should probably kill himself. Yep, just kill yourself. <laughs> Throw yourself off a bridge, in a river, whatever. Um, but, it, and given given the type of movies he makes, it doesn't seem too far out of the realm of possibility. Gaspar, for our sake, just kill yourself. <laughs> for the art's sake. I just have a couple of uh, comments to what Kurt just said. And uh, the first one is the... Um, the camera sort of going out of frame to as we're moving from one piece of the story to the next. And it's interesting because it felt to me, and I could be wrong, but it seems to me that um, that transition seems to take longer as we went further and further back in time. Like that last transition between um, the bedroom scene and when we then see uh, Alex in bed sort of before anything ever happens that transition seems even longer than all the other ones it's because you're admiring that 2001 kubrick uh poster 
<laughs> well, I think she was more interesting, interested with her boobs, personally, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> and, and the other thing is, it, it seems interesting. You mentioned that the camera seems to be more violent when there's more violence going on. But if I remember, remember correctly, I mean, that rape scene is, to me, and maybe it's because I'm a woman, it's more violent than the scene that opens the film. And the camera is almost stationary for the whole thing. Yeah, but that's because you, 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 we want to see you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think like there, there are, there is some camera movement in that though. Like I, I remember one, the one thing that really kind of shocked me is when he actually is picking up her head and slamming it into the ground, and then the camera yes. rotates around so you can see that. Like that mm. was pretty deliberate. But I mean, yeah, you're right that the camera is. Like, it is kind of weird, even uh, in the opening scene with the fire extinguisher. I mean, the camera's moving around everywhere, but as soon as they start smashing some guy's face in, we better stop, because we really want to see that. But uh, I think it's her spirit cam for the first half. (laughs) (laughs) After she's raped, her spirit just swirls around until the guy gets his uh, head crushed in. True. Spirit cam. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is interesting, though, that, I mean... There's, you know, for a, a movie that is going back in time like that, like, I think the most natural thing would be to actually cut and and have something. Like, I know Memento had, like, the black and white scenes to sort of separate as you went back in time. But just the idea of doing one long, continuous shot and you're jumping back in time is such a, I mean, it's an interesting thing to try. And it, it kind of, it does work in the sense that it never, like you said, never lets you off the hook. So... Um, but actually one thing in regards to editing and, and, um, how brutal some of the violence is, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but like specifically when the fire extinguisher is being swung or when Monica Belushi was having her, uh, like when she was getting kicked and stuff, it seemed like he kind of like dropped frames in there to like speed it up even faster and make it more violent. I I wonder if that's actual CGI bridging. It could be. Yeah. But I mean, like, it, there, there's, there was definitely like a slight flicker, like, in a, a visual. That I, that's a pretty common. Is it thing? I'm sure there's been. I I seem to remember discussing this in another movie, like that's come out in the past year, where where you would make an edit without having cuts, so you'd basically use you'd drop a frame yep. to make a punch feel more forceful. Yeah. Well, it works. <laughs> But uh, well, I think people are shocked. But like the rape sequence, people are shocked by the idea. Like it's just it's in a public space. There's a, there's a, at one point uh, early on in the rape, in. a guy and, and the, he's in the frame enough that the filmmaker mm-hmm. is making sure that you, even though you may be focused on what's happening at the forefront, you're very much aware that someone comes in fairly early and looks and he and lingers and then leaves mm-hmm. and it's in a public space like they're right under a highway and uh yeah it it's 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 designed to give you that maximum psychological effect more more so than the physical i mean it's very brutal and raw physically and like you said the camera is like it's it's unflinching like the the fact that the camera's not moving is in a way that the filmmaker's saying no you're going to you're going to stay and you're mm-hmm. going to watch this uh unless you walk out um but uh again it, with no way it's 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 easy to write something off as being provocative for provocative sake but there's a lot of consideration that goes into that scene like even the fact that he painted the under the the corridor 
uh, the, the, the underpass uh, red. Like, I mean, they didn't find that location. Uh, Egyptian they, red. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tuscan sunset. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and and the camera, I believe, I think it's for some of that scene when she's walking is canted. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's just a lot of that stuff. And uh, I mean, I think a lot of filmmakers use these things and they don't really have a sense of why they're using it. They're, they're using it because it looks cool or, or um, it, you know, it's going to make the scene pop or something. But Noé has a lot of, it seems to me that he has like emotional or even like character building with, with framing. Like it, um, I, I, the one scene that um, really struck out watching a second time was when she goes to hail the cab, the cab and or when she leaves the party um the camera has that sort of stalking her aspect which darren aronofsky uses both in um the rustler and black swan and uh, i mean when aronofsky used it i thought oh yeah and very few filmmakers use that sort of i'm just gonna follow this person with a steady cam for no reason other than we're gonna watch them walking and no way uses it very effectively and and i mean you you kind of with everything in this movie since you know what's gonna happen he can do anything and load it up and and uh i like that i i think you know i I guess if everyone used this if this was used often it would become old really fast but um there's certainly more things that could be done with it and but he does a lot with it Most definitely. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe we're out of things to say at this point. But, uh, I mean, I, 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 I was just going to say, I mean, I think, you know, it's been a few years since the movie came out. And, like, I don't know if people are still talking about it. But I think it's 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 definitely kind of, uh, it's, it's a movie you don't forget watching, that's for sure. And, I mean, I think it yeah. still works. You know, it's still pretty. I think it's talked about a lot still. I, th- I still think that this movie comes up in conversation uh, for, for for a bunch of different reasons. Sometimes it comes up for shocking. Sometimes it comes up as a um, rape by rape comparison in, in a way or or and and backwards narrative. There's, there's a lot of reasons uh, why. And, and, and I don't know. I don't know if. I'm I'm curious where it stands and how people feel about it. I was actually surprised that um, we're sort of all on the same page. I, I thought, you know, there's going to be one person. Well, I guess they all left. Yeah, that's why it's too bad. Like, I really wanted Andrew to just come on the show anyway because, I mean, he's seen the movie, so I don't know why he couldn't have just talked about it anyway, right? Like, he just didn't want to watch it again. Is that right? Yeah, he didn't want to watch either of them again. He had seen both. What a wuss. <laughs> but uh, interestingly enough, Irreversible is in, um, I have one of those, uh, like, a thousand and one movies to see before you die books. And uh, I don't know, I'm sure there's a few different books like that. But the one I have actually has Irreversible in it. And when I was flipping through it and I saw that movie in it, that was the one that convinced me that, okay, I'm going to pick up this book because I was just so surprised to see it in there. So apparently people, some people do consider it a pretty important movie in, in some ways. The the final scene in the movie when they use um, Beethoven's Seventh Symphony, which curiously enough is the opening track in the fall. Um, it, it's a, I'd forgotten that that piece of music was used, and I'm convinced now that even though you know we're praising this movie, you can set anything 
to that music and it's instantly fucking awesome <laughs> i'm gonna have like my kids eating cereal and i'm gonna put that music on and, and people are gonna look at it and go that shit is profound <laughs> <laughs> but that that song that that musical i mean we we have to, we should do uh immortal beloved and zardoz <laughs> because i know they both use that but they, they both <laughs> have that song as a signature scene as well it's it's a great piece of music and i don't know it, it I didn't remember that from watching it the first time, but it just sort of popped out this time. I think we should you definitely do Zardoz. Zardoz, yeah. I'm totally game. I love that movie. I love Zardoz as well. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, final thoughts on Irreversible? Well, I was thinking that maybe as a closer, we could all go around and say which movies have really disgusted us to a great deal. Okay, like, like our our most uh, comparing it to like other extreme movies. No, just whatever movies are on the top of our list of films that have been the the hardest to sit through. From a well, I I can say, and I guess this is kind of cheating in a way, but there's only two movies that I actually became physically nauseous in the theater watching. And one was The Hurt Locker, which was because I was, like, in the front row, and it was so shaky, and I couldn't handle it. But the other one was The Exorcist, and it was um, the new version of The Exorcist. And there's the scene where she's getting, like, blood work done and stuff, and they actually have, like, blood spurting from her her neck at one point. And that, for some reason, like, I had to, like, look away from the screen for, like, five or ten minutes. Like, I, I don't know. Something about blood spurting from a vein really bothers well, me. lots of people quote that scene in the hospital, which is funny because the movie has, like, all sorts of crazy-ass shit happening at different times. Mm -hmm. But most people actually, a lot of people quote that hospital scene as being one of the most disturbing scenes yeah, in the movie. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of shit being done to her, so. you, Yeah, you can kind of sort of relate to it i know like the first jackass movie the biggest reaction i saw in the theater that i got was when they're self-administering paper cuts and you think here's a movie where they're doing all sorts of absolutely insanely dangerous shit and just a bunch of guys in the room with a sheet of paper voluntarily like on the the webbing or whether the skin between their fingers or whatever giving them yeah. cuts it's because you can relate to it i don't know how many people can relate to irreversible but i guess it's close enough that you can extrapolate a bit and and yeah for sure all right uh marina um on a purely uh gross me out i can't believe i'm watching this tom six is the human centipede which i had to watch in two sittings because i just something in my head just was not working with the visualization, it was just a little bit too much. It actually made me physically ill. Um, and thematically, I would have to say the most difficult thing I've ever seen was probably The Free Will, a German film from a couple of Free Willy? What? <laughs> no. <laughs> the Free Will. Oh. Matthias Glasner's film. Yeah, I've seen I, that. I, I think I couldn't Free Willy thematically is pretty hard to sit through. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't even finish. I. I couldn't even finish the Free Will. It's such a hard movie to watch. Really? Um, I, I just. Yeah, it's. I, I, it's long too, so it's like almost yeah. three hours. So after the two hour mark, I, I. I'm like, I'm just walking away. I, I. I don't know if it. I had a physical reaction. I just like. There's nothing I'm gonna gain from. It's weird because I'll watch some really dumb, 
awful stuff. But that one, I remember I, I felt bad. The, the guys from Benton Films, which are like a super boutique label, um, sent me like review copy. And, and, uh, and I mean, they, they do it like cr- Criterion. So they're sending you the full, like gorgeously packaged or whatever. And I was going to review it on Twitch and I, I just couldn't finish the darn <laughs> movie. And then they took me off their list. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I couldn't finish the movie. James, you got anything to share with us? Um, I would think probably the only one that I, I almost didn't make through was a, I, I, I attended a, a screening of a, a bunch of a Stan Brackage's short works. And, uh, one of the, one of the films featured was a, a short called The Pleasure of Seeing with One's Own Eyes. And, uh, it's a, um, it's, Oh, I don't know, seven or eight minutes of nothing but cadavers being cut into pieces. Um, and uh, I guess the effect is, you know, you see subjectifying the human body, and that's probably the most familiar object. So it's a very unsettling experience, but on top of all that, it's just incredibly gross. And I, I almost didn't make it through that. So you didn't go back for Autopsy, which is another one of his shorts? Luckily, it was only uh, seven minutes. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish that Visitor Q had only been seven minutes. Long, <laughs> but but I, I no, I don't, I don't know if they showed Autopsy, but they, they showed a, a few of them. But that was the one that was really striking. Okay, Jay, did you share yours? No, um, I'd have a couple there. I, I think the paper cut thing in Jackass is a good good example but in the recent one the sweat uh drink is was pretty hard to sit through yeah um one of the films that i was i had nominated for the poll that i think would have been a good mix in this africa adio the documentary um is very hard to sit through it's it's a controversial piece of filmmaking and it's so the crap it's so well crafted and it it is a a very interesting and enthralling watch but there are moments in it that you know it's made by the guys who did Mondo Kane and and they have they're they're documenting the um uh well Africa falling apart essentially after the uh British leave and um but they can't resist just throwing in these huge sections of just the grossest and most disgusting. Like there's extended sequences of uh, mass hunts of the wildlife of Africa. And if it's not bad enough to watch like a bunch of people surround a hippo and spirit to death, it, they follow it up by showing them like cut a hippo fetus out of it and like display it. And it's like stuff like that where they just like they know we got to add the hippo fetus. <laughs> that's going to sell yeah. a, a couple more tickets. And then of course human. There's lots of human death in it as well. Um, but yeah, that that would be one of them. There was another, but I can't remember what it was now. So I'll just stick with that. Well, I think Jay's on to something with the glossy. For some reason, when gore is done I, it's weird you'd think if it was just done raw and and whatever it would have more impact but i i find like the probably the grossest or the the movie i found hardest to watch um just from visceral 
things. I have this thing with vomiting on screen, and there's someone. I'm sure there's a compilation on YouTube of like 20 minutes of shots. Like vomiting in film is, is surprisingly common. Like people throw up all the time, and there's and you some are better at depicting it um, than others. But uh, um, there's a Hungarian movie called Taxidermia. It's not even that old. It's like 2006, I think, and. Um, there's vomiting in that and it's like a um it's like a kubrickian like tracking sideways tracking shot of an eating like an eating contest and all the guys have to you know after they've gorged and 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 done the thing they have to purge and so you've got this slow tracking shot of five really robust sized men in red tights vomiting at the camera with no cuts or, or anything so it's not like the the typical like stand by me where there's like a hose or something or or in in a, in a typical movie they'll have like they'll fill the actor's mouth with some milk and and whatever and just have them cough and spit like this is right at, i don't know how they did it <laughs> but it is it's effective enough and it's not that's not the grossest image in the movie but that that that's certainly one that affected me then there's there's a there's a scene later on where there's a guy um it's the same overeating guy but this is many years on cuz the movie's in like three different chapters and he's gotten so um grotesquely fat from eating candy bars that um like his cats eat him to death and it's just it's it's a special effect it's like a like a prosthetic uh, practical effect and i don't know if that even makes it worse um but the the thing about taxidermia is i'm sure, i think it's out on blu-ray um it's a glossy well-made like cinematographer's wet dream kind of movie so it's just weird to see that type of stuff in that context like if you watch something like faces of death or whatever it's got that sort of found footage and even the stuff that's <clears throat> faked is faked to look like found footage whereas here's a guy you know, with a with a huge lighting department and 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 coordinating a lot of things and um, and and yeah and and I guess there's a self mutilate like the movie the movie of a, another scene in the movie has a guy that builds a machine that allows him to taxidermy himself while he's still alive and just and it's the camera just lingers over it and it, it's 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 well, weird it's, it's, it's like slick um, entertainment but at the same point it. It's really hard to watch. It's like big budget films that have graphic sex scenes that are strange, you know, seeing actual penetration or something that isn't shot on mini DV. <laughs> like in, you know, uh, um, Antichrist or, or Brown Bunny or like an artfully filmed pornographic sequence uh, it's, is an unusual experience as well but the the f other film i just remembered was uh tears of gaza tiff where there was tons of walkouts during that documentary it's a very graphic film when you're talking about vomiting kurt i thought for sure you were gonna say problem child too <laughs> that is a classic sequence <laughs> yeah. is that the one with macaulay culkin I'm, no, I'm not sure. That's Home Alone. What? No, no, no. <laughs> no there's one. There, it's funny that you mentioned that. I don't know if I, the Good Son is that a Macaulay Culkin film? Yeah, yep. where he has a a dummy a, that he calls Mister Highwayman, 
and he throws yeah. the dummy off the bridge and causes the car. That scene's actually very visceral. Like, you actually tighten up. I, I don't know if that movie, if anyone oh, watches that I anymore, tightened but, up. Um, <laughs> but it, that, no, no, like, just to, to see someone, like, because you know that that's exactly what would happen mm-hmm. if you have a flowing, fast traffic, but dense, and you threw a dummy in there, then someone's going to swerve. Like, what else would you do? And and that's uh, that's pretty disturbing. Um, I guess there's one thing I forgot to say about Irreversible, though. Uh, at one point, like the two actors, the main actors, um, Monica Bellucci and Vincent Cassell, are two of the biggest actors in France. And, I mean, they both do... Um, like more, I guess, extreme cinema. Like they're they're not. It's not like uh, the Hollywood studio system where you know you're not going to have certain actors do really graphic uh, movies. And, and they they do it a little bit more. But I, I was at the time when I saw it, I was trying to think of what the analog would be in Hollywood to have two. It would be like you know, like I don't know, Vincent Cassell. At first, I thought I was trying to equate like Vincent Cassell to Tom Hanks, which is not really. They're both at that level of fame and popularity, but they're not quite right. But now, in two thousand and ten, I, I would always kind of think that if it was Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie um, in that, and and I, and and it sort of broke my whole argument down because you know, on some level, I could actually see those actors make that movie yeah it uh, would actually work like the, 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 it would actually it, it actually might work i guess in 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 the early 20s it might you may have said like tom cruise and nicole kidman but then they did the kubrick movie so um but yeah i, I actually brad pitt and angelina jolie might actually work <laughs> in that movie well, so it's not but, like a movie that could not be I, I don't want it to be remade i mean it was done exactly perfect the first time around but um i always had this thing that you always you watch some foreign films or you watch extreme films, and I guess because you're raised on Hollywood movies, you, you, you tend to go, oh, I wonder, oh, they're not going to do that in Hollywood, or they're going to fuck that up if they do it in Hollywood. It's just a, an instant reaction that I have or whatever. And uh, But it, it's interesting that now thinking about Irreversible, I, I'm actually thinking, you know what? Someone in Hollywood could probably give it a go and actually do, yeah, you're not going to beat this movie, because why remake the movies that are done right? But... Yeah, probably. Well, but are you saying, though, that, like, do you think French audiences, like, do you think maybe for them this movie wasn't as visceral for some reason because they're bigger stars there and somehow that took them out of it a little bit or something like that? Uh, maybe. Kurt's saying that when he watches this movie. Oh, Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on, Matt. Welcome to the party. <laughs> Oh, he's just going to tease. How's it going, fellas? He's got the volleyball giggles. (laughs) I do. (laughs) Well, I mean, first off, you're talking about disturbing images. I come home, and James's pants are off, and I think that's a chinchilla. I really don't know what that is. Is there any peanut butter? Can you tell us if there's any peanut butter? (laughs) (laughs) What is that, James? Oh dear! What do you do when I'm not here? He looks for the giant eyeball. I know you do that. <laughs> this sounds like a private conversation. They're okay. like a married couple. These uh, guys need to have their own reality show. Embarrassed him. <laughs> All right. Well, Matt, you joined us just in time to wrap up our uh, conversation about irreversible. Do you have any final thoughts on irreversible? Yeah. 
It is one of the most boring movies I've ever seen. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note. Um, yeah. So I guess um, we should mention uh, for the next episode, uh, Matt, you may be interested to hear the, the, the movies that we've decided upon. Okay. Um, so we're going to be doing uh, F for Fake, and we're going to pair it with Catfish. What do you oh, think about really? What do you think about that? Interesting. Yeah, so it looks like Catfish comes out on DVD January 4th, so that's probably around the time we'll be doing the next episode, or maybe a little after that, I don't know. <laughs> it won't be before. <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah. If we do it before March, we're cruising. Yeah. <laughs> no. So Actually, January is a good month because like, there's nothing going on yeah. <laughs> theatrically, generally, anyway. But I guess we should uh, mention, you know, we've been doing, this is the 20th episode, we've been doing a lot of them based, a lot of our choices based on the poll on the website. And uh, recently we've noticed that uh, the poll may have been compromised (laughs) in some way. (laughs) So we don't know how reliable those results are anymore, but we're thinking we uh, we may just scrap the poll. And, you know, if you guys out there have suggestions feel free to email us or leave leave comments on the website um but we may just uh we may just decide amongst ourselves from here on in uh for each episode uh but uh yeah i guess you know as always we want to invite you guys to head over to movieclubpodcast.com and uh if you've seen the movies and you've listened to the podcasts let us know your thoughts on visitor q and irreversible and um Anything else before we uh, wrap it up? I think that's about it. I think that wraps it up. Yeah, it does. Thank you, James, for joining us. Uh, and thank Ooh. you for Marina for returning. It's yeah. been a while. It has. Thank you yeah. for having me back. Yeah, thanks for inviting me uh, this time. It was fun. Are you coming next time, James? Um, he's coming right now. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Uh, as long as Matt's not there, <laughs> if Matt if Matt's invited, I'm not coming. I'll play volleyball that night. <laughs> <laughs> Good choice. Well, for sure, it was fun. I I, I enjoyed it. I'll, I'd love to do another one. You know, and um, yeah, I look forward to it. Okay. Great. Well, uh, <laughs> great. Be sure to visit all of our websites. Uh, we've got film junk we've got twitch we've got the documentary blog we've got quiet earth we've got where the long tail ends we've got row three am i missing any all right the the website's broken right now though is that uh (laughs) but we're going to uh matt's been working to fix it it's uh it says it's what does it have like some kind of robots or something (laughs) (laughs) yes it has robots well, just well, tell, um, tell Matt to get his shit together over there. Yeah, it's, not my it's um, he had a, <laughs> what is it called, a Morbot? What? You had a Morbot, and you you downloaded a program, and it gave you a Morbot. <laughs> no, that's that's not even close to what happened. What, what are you doing? It's probably the best ending to a movie club podcast <laughs> ever. <laughs> threatening to turn into the IT club podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I guess we better end it here. Um, So thanks, everyone, for listening. 
visit movieclubpodcast.com and we'll see you in about two months time roughly I'm guessing so bye bye for now Anything else before we start? Are we good to go? When when will I start being able to see you? <laughs>